on this week's episode, um, I want to double click into the housing market and the housing market specifically in the UK. There's been a lot of news, recent news about the housing market, about the housing market crash that we're supposed to anticipate and get ready for in 2023. But um, let's get started and let's get into this episode. Take off, take flight with you. We never fly, but we're flying. Hey guys, welcome back to Take Flight Podcast. This is episode number 169. And you are with your four great co-hosts, Pabilo, Shuel, Daniel, and myself, Olio Canola. Let's start off by just doing a check-in. How is everyone doing? Shawal, how have you been? It feels like you're Mr. International. You're never in one I'm, place. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, probably if uh, any of our uh, listeners are looking at this on, on video, it's a slightly different background this week. I am in uh, in Switzerland, uh, partially a business trip, partially a personal trip. Um, at this moment in time while we're recording, I'm more on the business uh, end of the, the week. Um, but yeah, overall, overall good. It's nice to be back in Switzerland. It's very cold, uh, and I'm here also with my uh, wife Shanaz. So we'll in the weekend spend some time going to the mountains. A couple of favorite spots that this group has been to as well. So it'd be nice to share that experience together with with her. But overall, in a in a good in a good space. Um, P, let's go to you because you've got a new microphone. So how how are you doing? Mm. Yeah, I'm feeling good. <laughs> <laughs> it's about it's about time. It's about time. So, uh, how long, <laughs> for the listeners, how long, you're probably like, yo, peace out in Chris. It's been how many years we've been doing this? It only took us so, three um, years. Yeah, no, all good. I'm well, I'm well. Uh, I was just telling Olu earlier. Um, wife is happy, kids are great. Um, um, yeah, all good, all good. Everything's heading in the right direction. Uh, we've literally done what we're 31 days into the month. Time flies. So um but feeling good about the year. Um, but yeah, all thumbs up on my side. Then go on, Bro, Dan, feet, I, I want to hear what Dan's got to say. No, no. I'm sounding good. But you need to upgrade you need to upgrade the headset though. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, I've got yeah, baby sets, baby sets. One month, one month at a time, yeah. No, nah, my my um, my Bluetooth headphones they wasn't charged in time. It's coming, it's coming. Don't worry, don't worry. Don't okay. Don't worry. No, but I, I must say, Pete, you, you uploaded something to your personal Instagram. And that that quality, the video quality was was a, was a one. Uh, I don't know what you used to record it. If that was an iPhone camera, boy, I, I need the iPhone that you have. Um, if it's the the old it was, one, no, I, I can leave it. <laughs> it, was, but it, look, it looked good. It looked good. It's my, old phone, it's my old phone. It's my phone. Okay. Oh, it was the lighting then? Okay. I must be the lighting. Yeah, you, you must know how to make um, the, the old stuff work well. So well done, Daniel. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm th- I'm good. Thank you. Um, yeah. Um, uh, what can I say? Bit tired, but all in all, I'm good. Um, nothing eventful like like Shawel. Haven't been traveling. Uh, I've been here just working, and yeah, just uh, happy wife, happy life, happy kid. The basics, that's the fundamentals. It's working on the yeah. fundamentals. Yeah, and just for the for the listeners, what Daniel fails to mention is every quarter this guy goes on a luxurious holiday with his family. So don't start to think or feel sorry for this guy that he's <laughs> tired already. This he's he's got some mad holiday lined up. So lined just up wait and well. see exactly. for it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and Oli. And, and Oli. Um, Oli how are I'm you? fantastic. Um, ah! I'm counting <laughs> counting down the days. Um, <laughs> With a smile on my face, 
nothing can um, get me down recently. Um, so I'm traveling to to Bali um, in the coming weeks. So I'm extremely excited. I can't wait. It's long overdue. I think I've been talking about this since we probably started this podcast about my escape to to Bali. Yeah, there's yeah, there's two things. There's one, the Bali one that you've achieved. There's one other thing that you've been talking about for a long time that you haven't done yet. You're going which, to do. which one is that one? My my children are waiting for it. It's your it's the children <laughs> the children's book. So when you oh the children book okay cool, when cool, you've cool, written cool. that and published it, they they're waiting mm-hmm. to read it. So cool cool for but, sure. But for Bali's sure. Bali's TikTok with there. So that, that 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 recording we do when all is in Bali is not going to be a green screen. It's going to be one real real background. Probably some tight shorts as well, in it. <laughs> I'll have my legs. I'll have my legs all crossed. I'll be saying to you guys, I don't understand why you're still living this Western life, man. You need to come and find yourself in Bali. You know, this this is not the meaning of life. What's your purpose? Uh, but now, on a serious note, I'm extremely excited to take a break, um, relax, and find myself. But before we sort of deep dive into what new investors or first-time buyers should pretty much do when it comes to investing and buying or buying their first property. I wanted to look at the history of the housing market. So I'm going to first start off just by giving a history lesson of the UK housing market. So if we look at the housing market and sort of the increase we've seen over the last few years, if we go back to sort of 1990, where uh, the average price of a house was around 55k, right? To today, so if I look at the Halifax um, report, which has the average price of a property in the UK, which is at 281k, that is close to six times the increase that we've seen from 1990 to 2023. Now, you're probably wondering what has caused that increase or that boom. Right, we've seen a growing middle class. Um, we've seen higher income. We've seen a very low uh, interest rate environment where you could get really affordable mortgages um, and low interest rates. Also, we've sort of seen a s- decline in the supply of houses in the UK. So there's been a scarcity of houses. More people have wanted to be owners and owners of properties. But I think what has been quite strange with the housing market and where we want to really focus for this episode is what's happened post-COVID. So if we look at what the housing price was or the average housing price in the UK, April 2020, it was around 235K. That means over the last sort of two years, we've seen a 25% increase or growth in the average um, house prices in the UK. Now, the reason is because after COVID or when COVID and the lockdown and everything started to open up, we started to see people's demand for houses increase, right? People wanted larger spaces, so there was a higher demand for it. They saw the increase in rental prices go up, so they said, instead of me renting, I might as well buy. Uh, and we also got a stamp duty holiday to sort of stimulate the market. All of this obviously drove the growth. Um, We've seen inflation come into the market, which we've discussed on previous episodes. The way that you correct inflation is by increasing interest rates. Now, when a bank gives 
out a mortgage, they are borrowing or they're borrowing on something that they call the UK base interest rate, the base rates. Now, historically, if we look at the base rate, since sort of 2010, it's been less than 1%, right? Um, you could get mortgages. I remember my mortgage was around 1.5% was what I was able to borrow. Over sort of end of 2022, we saw a massive increase in that base rate. So um, increasing from close to around 0, 0.1% to 3.5, which is the current um, sort of base rate interest rates. Now, this is obviously given uh, there's a relationship with house prices, affordability, when you start to look at the interest rate dynamic. So I'm just going to give the listeners um, a quick example. Imagine I needed to borrow around 200K, right? If this was at 2%, so I was able to get a mortgage at 2%, I would be paying around £330 each month. Now, if that 2% interest rate was to increase to around 6%, where in some cases we were seeing sort of 5 6%, instead of me paying £330 a month, I would now be paying a thousand pounds a month. So you can see that massive spike on affordability has meant that now more and more people can't afford houses. And I think what's become even even more scary is when you start to look at um, the the affordability ratio. So there's a ratio to say pretty much like Back in the day when our parents and you hear, oh, there was such a high interest rates. When they look at your income versus how much houses were, were, you're looking at sort of two, three X. Now we're at a point where it's at the highest point it's ever been. It's seven times sort of the average income um, to be able to purchase a house. So it's even becoming more and more unaffordable. So I just wanted to first start off by giving quite a lot of data. I know there's a lot of data there. but let me now open it up just to get you guys sort of insight into sort of the housing markets, what you've seen in the last sort of five, 10 years and more recent times. Um, why don't you start off, P? Yeah, sure. Um, no, Olo, thanks for the overview. Uh, it really helps to sort of set the scene. Um, I think what we're seeing today is that cause and effect element. You know, if I just if I go back and just more recently, you spoke about the COVID pandemic space. Um what I think really drove the demand uh, was actually sort of, you know, cheap, you know, um, cheap capital, right? So low interest rates. And I think, you know, having that sort of um, opportunity, I mean, there were other factors like you mentioned, but I think what really, really drove people to saying, listen, you know, this is a good opportunity to buy is the fact that it was very cheap to take out a mortgage. Um, And that in combination with quantitative easing was done to sort of stimulate the market, which was artificially shut down. So, you know, any economist or investor will tell you a result of doing that at some point is going to lead to where we are today, where we're basically seeing, right, house prices fall as fast of a pace as in what we saw in 2008, right? So so the, the velocity at what we're seeing is quite fast. Um, it's still dropping sort of single low, you know, middle, single low digits. Um, but I think I think it makes a lot of sense where we have, you know, we have a rise in interest rates, which we need to have because inflation is reported to be around 10%. Um, so the natural slowdown that we're seeing in terms of demand um, and affordability makes a lot of sense. So I think I think um, we'll go on to talk a little bit about the dynamics that we see happening this year. 
Um, but I probably just say now I, I don't personally see, you know, a, a crash, you know, in, in, in a 2008 like crash. I think we see similar 2008 like um, patterns, um, but a lot's different compared to that particular period, but certainly a slowdown and we should expect a slowdown. The question is then what are you as a first time buyer and investor doing mm. to sort of um, manage that period? But yeah, that's just my thoughts on where the market is today as expected. Um, and then we can go dive a little bit more into that. Uh, maybe sure, just some thoughts as well. Yeah. So from from my NP, just to to complement that, I think this is a this is a different dynamic compared to the 0809 period. I think during that time we were all at university, so probably we were more um, observing as a as an observer. Whereas now, of course, probably all of us have got some shape or form investment in the in the UK housing market. I think at the moment the the difference is that there are less people on variable mortgages as there were back then. I think there's also people that have had to go through quite stringent lending requirements nowadays to get a mortgage based on your income. And these were elements that weren't there during the 0809 crisis. And I think also anecdotally, I'm seeing that there's definitely is a, a cool down in the market, but that underlying demand of people looking for high quality homes with rents continuing to go up seems to still be there. Mm. Um, but I think like all markets, as we've seen in the last 12 to 24 months with the stock market, cryptocurrency, um, even Pokemon cards, to a certain extent, every asset class has gone up crazily during the pandemic. And then it has started to slow down, cool down and decline. And real estate mm -hmm. being one of those markets that seems to be a bit slower to go up and down, but it does typically follow the trend. We'll, we'll probably follow that trend in the next 12 to 24 months. How much it goes down, I think that's still the question mark, but probably not as considerable as the 0809 uh, crisis. But with that, there could be more opportunities that come through, but we'll discuss that in later on in the episode. Before I pass on to Daniel, I think one of the things that I found quite interesting right is we've seen a decline in the last few months mm. but it hasn't wiped out sort of the the increases if i look at where we were in um january january 2022 right so the average price of a house in january 2022 was 276 which we're sitting at 281 now i understand at the high point it was something like 290 293 um, was the average price of a house but we haven't started to see it to a pre-covid sort of valuation and maybe we won't see it to a pre-covid valuation but i think one of the big things that's really impacting it and the affordability is just really the interest rates i think if it was to stay at these sort of levels people would still be purchasing properties like crazy but it's that interest rate that's really stopping and slowing down the market but daniel do you have any other inputs on into the market and what you see. I think, I think uh, rather than repackaging what Pabilo and Shua said, I think mm. I, I agree very much with their sentiment. And to your point about um, seeing pre-pandemic levels, I think it will, it, I think the market accelerated so much that the cooling down period wouldn't get to pre-COVID immediately. I think mm -hmm. it will take a, a, a longer while to get to pre-COVID, um, mm -hmm. maybe the next five to ten years. But what I think is people are starting to really question the need to move. So those who may already be in a property and not a first-time buyer are more or less sort of waiting to see what the market is going to do before saying, okay, let, let's remortgage or let's buy another property, let's move. Uh, because, you know, the interest rates aren't, you know, you're locking, you're locking into either a two-year variable or fixed or a five-year off the high street. 
Um, and, you know, that's not a small amount to be playing around with for two years, especially if the market could, you know, could could uh, could go into, you know, a downward, downward spiral. So I think the levels are certainly lower than what they used to be, especially, you know, not as low as last year, this time last year. But I think it's going to be more of a waiting, waiting game to see those levels um, play out um, for the longer term. Nice. Yeah, I think th there's there's two there's two sometimes lenses uh, to focus on. One is that average price consolidation across the country. The other element or to look at is sort of what's happening within your local market. So you're looking at and when I look at listings that are coming onto the market in the in the markets that we're in, I'm seeing already a 10-15% drop than a couple uh, six to eight, ten months ago. So then if I go in and then start the negotiation um, process, I could probably get that 20%, which is maybe what I was maybe referring to before. So I think mm. I think this idea of, um, but, but, yeah, go on. I was going to say, but I was going to say, but B, but in that 20%, oh, sorry, the 20K difference or so, would that not be absorbed by the interest rate? Or do you think you can still avoid, do you, do you think that 20, that say 20K saving wouldn't be absorbed in, wouldn't be absorbed by the interest no, rate? No, yeah, if you, if you it wouldn't. Rate. I don't think there will be then a significant financial upside because then you still have a high interest rates but you know it's mm. just when we have a conversation about seeing a drop in prices like I've had to adjust the values on my portfolio because ultimately they are you know if I had to sell my portfolio to today um it's less than what I'd get for them eight months ago you have to be realistic mm. in that standpoint so I for me that's when I when I think about um you know you look at some of these digits that they're re re referring to average price going down 1.52 percent mm. but on the market it's that 20 percent maybe even more as we go throughout the year so um it's just sometimes good to understand that lens of listings on on the right moves and, and those kind mm. of portals versus then a consolidated view from an average price home standpoint okay no that's really good insights guys um i will i think for the listeners you've got to understand whenever there's a when you look at the property market there's really two faces or two ways you have to look at it you've got to look at it from a bias standpoint so if you're looking to purchase a property and from a seller's standpoint, right? And I think we've mentioned sort of the, the dynamic in the market, sort of the what some would class as a scary environment, uncertainty, volatility, all those keywords. Why don't we talk and give some examples? Let's say you were a first-time buyer, right? And you've saved up for deposit. Um, you're looking to buy your first home. How would you navigate this current climate, this market? Would you purchase? Would you wait? What would you do in this market? And let's start off with maybe Daniel so that we can let someone else start. Yeah, sure. I think uh, there was an article from the Financial Times saying that the London, specifically London, so I know we spoke about kind of uh, nationwide average prices, but the London property market has become an inheritocracy, meaning that those who are inheriting from parents, grandparents are able to be, to get onto the property market, and within London specifically, I think the the amount required for a first time buyer is now one hundred and forty seven thousand pounds needed for a deposit. That's not using any government scheme. That's just kind of you know wanting to buy a property, saving enough for a deposit. And when I think thirty years ago, um, Oli shared some numbers. I think more kind of a global, uh, sorry, more of a, a nationwide perspective. But when honing into and zoning in into London, the first time buyer in London needed was, well, the first time, the, the purchase price for a first time buyer was around 122,000, um, roughly 1 1.5 times the UK average price. And now, or last year, the first time buyer, um, the, the, the average 
first time buying in London spent 462,000. So that's double the average around the rest of the country. Of course, this is all relative. It's London versus the rest of the country, but it's accelerating quite significantly. And when you look at salaries in London, um, they're not they're not accelerating as fast as inflation and and as and as fast as um, housing, which is a big problem because many people are now saying they can't afford to get onto the housing ladder or they can't buy a property which they would want to raise a family or they even want to live in. It's like, okay, I'm on the property ladder, but it's not in something I even like. Um, in the example of the FT, there's even, a, um, I think, a vice principal who's now actually exploring wanting to move to Germany to get a better sort of um, standard of living. And you see many people now uh, in a uh, younger age exploring the idea of living abroad. And I think that's not just something that they thought of overnight, but I think the cost of living in and around London, you know, a buzzing metropolis is now being exciting. It's an exciting concept to do elsewhere because if I want to live, if I want to enjoy, if I want to, you know, earn good money, work hard for it and also spend it and give it back to the economy, let me do it in a place where I can actually enjoy life and don't feel like I'm I'm, I'm paying every time I, I breathe. So as a first-time buyer, I think within the UK, within London, um, you want to be around a buzzing buzzing city you don't want to be outside outskirts where you don't really have a social life or anyone nearby that can be very different when you want to start a family but if I was the first time buyer so I'm going a very long way around but I wanted to lay some foundations and facts is I would I would wait because right now with the interest rates being what they are with the recession looming these are all indications that things are going to cool down come down it doesn't mean they will but I would probably take the chance that I'd wait for things to come down you know, do a lot of fact finding, do some data gathering. What has the housing market, how has it performed after recession? In the area I'm looking at, what are the prices been post recession? Are they likely to drop? Are they likely to go up? What would the interest rate be? Make sure that the savings is maybe being invested into something that can continue to grow and an interest on what I'm saving rather than just sitting in the bank account and having less purchasing power over time. Um, but I'll definitely be active so that when the property market is ripe, I'm ready to strike quickly and not play around and offer probably something that's less or under market value under market price hoping for a quick sell and someone that wants to sell it quickly and just kind of be done with it that's what i would do thanks daniel for the background and also um your advice there what about yourself sure on that side just sure just before you dive in can i just add another statistic to um what daniel mentioned with regards to the dynamic within london so in addition to what you said about the number, the amount of money required on average to buy a property, I think in, in terms of years, they've reported it's about 15 years of saving in order to get to that point. So that just speaks to the magnitude of what it really takes um, to own a property in London, which is going to come back to the questions that we should ask ourselves as first-time buyers. Um, but yeah, sure. So, so, so before this, I think we want to also... Point, uh, Go on, Daniel. I, I was just going to say, I was just going to say, in regards to property prices, I think this has a huge effect on not just homeowners. I think this has a huge effect on what people do after higher education. When I say higher education, I mean coming out at A-levels college. Because if you're now thinking to buy a property, I need to start making X amount. You're now thinking, if I want to go to um, university to study for a degree that I may not use and spend 9K a year, that's more that I'm putting myself into. And it makes you question, do I see a long-term future in the UK? Do I not? Do I want to absorb debt, student loan finance, or do I want to go into work? Do I want to become a creative? Do I want to move abroad? Do I want to take a gap year? Do I want to travel? Do I want to become a content creator, etc.? So I think it has a lot of ramifications 
mm. and not just about getting on the property ladder, in my opinion. Sorry, Shua, back to you. No, I think that so, is, and I just just before she goes, Shua, I think also let's try and keep it. I think we've given quite a lot of information about London specifically, and I think it's the most expensive market. But let's also we're global uh, podcast. We've got other people outside of London. Oh, we go so we, we go into the states. We go into states. We do states. We do states. <laughs> I, I mean, I think Daniel gave a very comprehensive answer, so I don't think there's much to add. The okay. only thing that I would say is, if you're in the position where you can buy, and financially it doesn't put you in a tougher spot, and it's, you're looking at it as a long-term perspective, my personal view is that if you can buy and you're ready to buy, it's better to buy now than wait. Because also, typically, if you're looking to acquire something, and again, assuming you've got the savings and you get something locked in for two years or five years, and it's a long-term um, investment, I personally think it's better to get on the ladder than try to time it. Um, because Daniel is 100% correct. There will likely to be a reduction. But is that reduction going to be so big that over the five years it's not gained? Because that underlying demand is there. People are still looking for homes. People are still looking to buy homes. And personally, I think the quicker you can get on the ladder and you can start to feel the long-term benefits of appreciation, the better. Now, if you're not in the financial position to do it, then, I mean, I building on Daniel's point, I had a conversation very transparently with my youngest brother recently. He came uh, to spend a week with me in Copenhagen and we were discussing his next move. Um, he should be qualifying as an accountant later this year, God willing. And then once he's in that position, the, the amount of job opportunities that become available to him will open up significantly. And I was trying to get him to think about moving abroad for a couple of years because you move abroad, go to a, a country where you can pay less taxes, do that for a couple of years, and then suddenly you've got enough to potentially buy property in the UK or another another country. So I think that the point that Daniel raised about bigger long-term questions about where where you want to be, and where can you have a better quality of life? These are very big questions that take some that are worth taking some time to to think about. But if you are a first time buyer and you've got the money, personally, I think you should buy if you can. Um, but otherwise, take time to reflect, as Daniel Daniel suggested. What about yourself, Dan? Um, sorry, P. Yeah, just a couple of thoughts from my side. Um, if I'm a first time buyer in a situation uh, in today's current market, the, the, one of the things, one of our focus areas is going to be employment employment market. Uh, we're seeing a number of major companies um, downsize and cut. So I will pay close attention to what my job situation looks like. And I say that because ultimately mortgages are underwritten by your employment income, right? In order for you to get a mortgage, you need to show a level of income. So that needs to be there. And it needs to be, you need to be able to understand and be able to predict, okay, I'm pretty secure in my current employment or I'm, I have good prospects moving forward. I say that because I think as a first time buyer, your focus should be your affordability over the long run, not necessarily so much the deposit. There's a lot of emphasis and focus on getting into the deal. There's not enough conversations about what it takes to actually manage the deal, right? And, and defaulting is a serious thing. It happens. There's hundreds of thousands of people that are at risk of defaulting over the next um, coming years. So for me, I always tell people that are looking to get onto the ladder, the deposit is one thing. Um, but the affordability is more important. So focus on the monthly repayments. You need to be able to afford that at a comfortable level. I would not recommend stretching that anymore. Um, statistics show that I think after, you know, obviously you're you know, earning a certain amount of money, most of which is going back into the system. From your take-home pay, about 40% of that in London, 47% is then going towards your mortgage. So we're talking about a huge chunk of money. And you want to be in a position where over the next three to five years and beyond, you can actually see yourself paying for that. So that's one, that's the perspective that I would keep in mind and get first-time buyers to think about. 
Um, waiting is waiting is a good strategy. Um, the other thing that you know ties into what the guys have mentioned, which I think is very important, is this is an opportunity to ask, to ask yourself hard questions. One one question is what's wrong with renting? What's wrong with renting? I think there's a certain perception of renting in places like the UK and also Australia. You want to be a homeowner. You want to be a homeowner. Um, but if the opportunity is not there, the opportunity is not there, right? Um, so renting can actually still provide you with an opportunity to have a roof over your head and still allow you to build up a level of savings, which can then be used for an alternative investment. So I think whilst it may not be a currency in conversation, everyone wants to jump onto the property ladder. You won't want to, you don't want to force a hand or do something that is not quite properly structured to get on the ladder. So I think they, you know, look into renting and, and look at that, that proposition um, and also look at, you know, living outside of London, looking at living outside of the UK. So I think whilst it is about first-time buyers, there are big questions to ask um, because this investment that you're making, let's say you're not an investor, you're just a first-time buyer that just wants to get your first home. Um, it's probably the biggest investment you will ever make, right? Um, or expenditure. And given that it's about 40% of your take-home pay, you really, really want to think about it because affordability is more important than the deposit. Sure. I was just going to say on that front, I, I don't think there's anything negative in renting at all. But if someone has the opportunity to say live at home with their parents versus going out to rent where it will be an expense, what would you suggest they do? So it depends on, on, on their current situation, circumstance. I think if they're single, I think they should welcome that idea of, of staying at home. You know, you can, you can shuffle things around at home to create an environment that can work for you. Um, because ultimately, that's probably one of the, it's actually an advantage for young people today to be able to stay at home and to be able to save on not having to pay rent or actually their mortgage. Um, so it's, it's an advantage and a competitive edge. If you're, you know, you have, a, you have a spouse or you're engaged, you know, that that's something maybe you want to maybe look at renting together, right, and living together. So I think it does, does depend on um, your situation. But I think we're in, we're in a market today where people need to, you know, be okay with those kind of scenarios, staying at home for maybe six to eight months to build up a level of savings, you know, maybe look at renting and that ideal dream of buying your, your, your first home can come later, right? Because um, it's, it's a 30, 40 year mortgage, um, you know, so it's, it's, it's a big commitment. So that's what you're really signing up for, right? So, so in some ways you don't really, you don't need to rush it. No. So I think you guys have mentioned really some good points. I think, I look at it from two standpoints, right? Because we live in the UK where I think Shuwal mentioned about not that many people are in variable rates or more on fixed rates. But in terms of these fixed rates, rates we've got sort of what they class as a time um, ticking time bomb because most of the people will be rolling off. So you don't have the luxuries like other countries like the US where you might sign uh, a, uh, a mortgage which will be 30 years, 40 years and people will stay fixed in their place. So when I think about this interest rate and affordability question, everyone is going to feel this, right? Because people are going to start rolling off their mortgages. And as they're taking high interest rates, that's going to pretty much go up. So the key thing you want to look at is even with these interest rates at the rates they are, even if you were to sign two, five years, you want to look at just the affordabilities of these interest rates, right? And I think Pabila mentioned it perfectly, like, what is your your threshold? I'll say probably 40%, 45%, right? You don't want to max yourself out that you're not able to live life, look after your family, food, experience. You want to say, okay, what's 40% of that? That will tell you 
sort of your affordability, how much you can purchase in terms of a mortgage. And then more importantly, I would say, is really the value of how much you purchase these properties for, right? I think a lot of people don't look at the most important thing is what you purchase at the price. Interest rates, we don't control. It goes up and down. You're on a fixed interest rate. You'll come off it. You just want to make sure your affordability is. But let's think about people that purchased houses last year, two years ago at the high prices, right? They're going to roll up it in two years time and have to pay a high interest rate and affordability is going to be crazy. So why not use this time, this year, next year, the uncertainty to really now be in a buyer's market and negotiate down, right? That uncertainty is where you want to be able to say, you know what? Don't look at the list prices because list prices are what someone wants, a fantasy number. Look at the area that you want to purchase. What have they been sold at the last year, five years, etc.? And go into the negotiation and say, you know what? I see you've listed at this price. I'm not willing to go more than 20% less than whatever you see the sold prices, whatever you feel is the, and use this uncertainty to negotiate. Because like we've mentioned before, there's a large population that might be on time uh, ticking time bombs who, if it goes to a high interest rate, their fixed rate is going to be over. They're going to have to pay um, to a point where they can't afford it. So use that uncertainty. So I'm not a big fan of waiting. I prefer to, especially if you're looking to live in the house for five years, 10 years, I'm a fan of use the time to negotiate, get a discount as it appreciates over five, 10 years. Because I don't think any of us on this podcast would say in five, 10 years, houses are going to be cheaper. I think we know that house is going to be more expensive in 10 years time, right? And then also even on the interest rates, I don't see interest rates staying at this level forever because we're such a debt-reliant country and society that yes, it might not get back to the zero, 1%, whatever, et cetera, but I don't see it staying at these rates forever. So why not use the uncertainty? Because you'll be surprised. The moment it switches, we're going to see another boom as well. And you might be too late um, when the government decides to stimulate the market, they might give a stamp duty holiday, bang. Instead of you now, where you go to a viewing, and I've got a funny story, which I told um, Pabilo about, where I went to a viewing this week, and I spent half an hour on the phone, basically arguing with the estate agent, just because I didn't want to purchase the house. He was telling me 101 reasons why I was deluded. I didn't understand the market. Like, if I was to sell my property, the price, I, he basically told me I should buy this property at this price, even though the market's going to drop 20%. But the value that I want to sell my apartment for, I shouldn't want that price. I should put it down for Expect 20%. a lower price. I was like, which one is it? I buy high and then sell low. Like, like make it make sense, right? So I spent half an hour. And a year ago, I couldn't even get a phone call back from estate agents when it came to valuations. There were 10, 20 people putting offers in above market price. So whilst they got time to call me and spend half an hour on the phone with me, what price are you willing to go down to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's true. What I've studied and looked at the market. So I'm just going to switch over um, now because I think we've spoken about buying advice, uh, uh, buying advice. But what if you're someone that's looking to sell? So you have a property. Myself, I've got an apartment, which... I've been considering and contemplate if this is the time for me to sell. Would you sell? Um, what advice would you have for me? Um, why don't we switch up and start with this time, P? You start. Off. 
it all depends on your need. And I think I think everybody needs to pay attention to what is it that they're trying to achieve. Um, if you need to get out of that particular property to release the equity, to then buy something else because you need a bigger place for your family or something for, for that matter, then you need to accept that you have to take a lower price in today's market to achieve your goal. Um, but if you can afford to wait, I would wait to see what happens because I think um, people have, if you haven't sold already, people have missed that sort of boom period where... I experience um, sellers putting their properties on the market just to see what they would get. They don't even want to sell, right? So it really depends. It really, really depends. But um, would I would would I be if I got twenty percent loss on, less on my property for selling it, but I was able to achieve my goal of moving into a different house? I've achieved my goal. So I don't think I would, you know, cry over missing out on twenty percent because you know I've probably been paying down the mortgage over a period of time. You know, there's enough equity to make the deal happen. So, um, I think I think it does depend on you on your situation. How desperate do you need to move, um, Daniel? From a um, seller side, what seller side, I think it's just based it's based on personal circumstances. Whether you need to offload that property, whether you need cash, whether you're downsizing, you know, it could be down to personal matters or changing finance uh, financial circumstances or family dynamics. I think it's all down to a number of personal reasons, but personally i'll probably try and hold on just given the market we're in um but of course it's down to your personal situation it's funny you say that right because there's an advice they have similar with stocks right you can always tell why someone wants to buy something it's always to make money yeah, but when it comes to selling sell. there's multiple reasons that you could want to sell right you could need the money for an emergency purpose that might be the reason you want to sell it you might want to sell it because you want a tax write-off right in some cases right that could be the case or you might want to sell it because um, it's not profitable, right? If you're doing it more of an investment or your family decision needs to go up. So I think that's what you guys are all saying, right? Is when it comes to selling, it's very, um, it's very personal and specific to you, right? And in my situation, I don't need the money for purchasing another property. So in that sense, I'm more thinking, okay, if I don't like the price that I'm getting from the market, I can wait and rent it out um, and make the rental income. Um, if I do need the capital and I say, you know what, but that money could be better served somewhere else, I could then decide to sell. But uh, I, I think it goes back to what you guys have just pretty, pretty much mentioned is really your circumstances. And if you really need that money to be able to move somewhere else and you can get that place cheaper, then why not sell? Yes, you could receive less money, but you've also purchased at a lower price. Okay, so before we wrap up, um, because I think we've given some really great advice. And I just want to mention, guys, we are not your financial advisors. We're just four random people on uh YouTube or Apple. We're not, we're not random. We're not, we're not yeah, random. I was gonna say that. No, no we're not random. We're, we're random. Yeah. We're not your financial advisors. I'm not your financial advisor. So any of the advice you've taken here, please do your own independent research, speak to your broker, uh professional in the space, and brainstorm and think of some ideas based on what you've learned from this but don't just blindly go and make a decision based on what you've heard on this particular podcast so to wrap up i just want to quickly go around and ask you guys what is your prediction for the market the next one year so 2023 are you expecting a crash expecting it to stay flat increase and then also 10 years what do you expect to see in the housing market in the uk and we'll start with shua <clears throat> 
So my prediction is a soft landing. So meaning I, I don't foresee a fast and hard drop um, in the next 12 to 24 months. There will be a reduction, but I don't think it will be as significant as previous years. And I think in the long run, over the 10-year period, that the housing has the UK market has a housing crisis and there's just essentially not enough homes um, and too many people. So unless that's really seriously sold with lots of new homes or some control on immigration, then I think that demand will will remain, especially for high quality housing. So that's my, my predictions. Let's go to Daniel. <clears throat> it's clear as a bell to those who pay attention. The mother of all <laughs> evil is speculation. Leverage debt. The bottom line is... It's borrowing to the hilt. And I hate to tell you this, but it's a bankrupt business model. It won't work. It's systemic and it's global. Like cancer, it's a disease. And we've got to fight back. Okay, I jokes aside. Um, <laughs> I, thought Daniel ignore, was reading it, a, I thought Daniel was reading an audible book. I was like, oh, this is stupid. <laughs> ignore my soliloquy. Um, I'm similar to Shwell. I think what's going to look like, I just think it's, Often people say we're in a bubble and with everything, a bubble has got to burst and it's a cycle. And that's, that's, the, that's the short story. Whether you talk about the stock market, housing market, crypto market, everything, a, a bubble emerges, even the economy, it grows so much, it becomes a bubble and it bursts, everything resets. That's my prediction, to put it simply. Yeah, so I think um, my thoughts, predictions and also position as an investor. So I believe... I believe we'll continue to see a slowdown in the market um, naturally. And I think we have to, given how high interest rates are. I think the base rate will probably have to increase a bit further to, to sort of combat the current level of inflation. Um, but I personally like the fundamentals, even with the slowdown in the property market, I like the fundamentals as a property investor because I think you're also going to see a market where rents are rising um, between 8 to 10%, maybe even more. We're seeing that today. I've just put on a property where the tenant wants to pay more than what I've listed it for um, because there is the demand to buy is slower, right? So they're going to see a lot more demand for renting. And I think that will create opportunities for sort of co-living co development projects where if you think about the value proposition, you now actually have your immune to sort of the increasing costs because it's inclusive of bills. One bedroom apartments are going to look good. I think people will downsize to two to three bedroom houses. So I still think there's going to be opportunities or people are still looking for um, those good assets and those good units. So I think, yeah, there'll be a slowdown. But if you're if you're a long term holder um, and you're you're in the game for cash flow, I think providing you manage your cash flows well um, and you're covering your servicing, your debt, I think you'll do pretty well. Um, so, yeah, I think that over the next 24 months, I don't think it will be a, a hard crash like people uh, make it out to be over the next 10 years. I think we're currently already seeing a, po a positive net migration, and I think that will only continue. So I think there'll be more people in the UK than there are today, which is only going to help. And I think the lack of supply has always helped in the favour of investors, which I think we'll see more of the dynamic moving forward. I think one of the biggest changes that we'll see in 10 years, I, I won't be able to tell the prices. I think we'll be prices will be higher than they are today. How much more? Not sure. But one of the things I think that will certainly happen, and I think a pattern that we'll see is, a bigger consolidation of the number of private landlords. So I think today you have 2 million private landlords in the market. And I think that will shrink further because more legislation, um, you want to increase the standard. Um, you've got big institutions now that are taking on sort of, you know, those private uh, rented homes. 
and I think it will be just in a handful of a few private landlords. Um, so that will be an interesting dynamic to see. And then we'll see how those players play with the prices um, and sort of dictate. Um, but yeah, despite the slowdown, very, very still confident on the market. Um, fundamentals still look good. Fantastic. On my side, um, I do see a slowdown. Um, I won't call it a crash or a correction. I think if you look at 2008, I think there was a decline of around 15, 16%. I don't think we're going to get to that sort of rate in the year. I think we'll probably see a slowdown, maybe a decline of 5 to 10% uh, max. Um, and then if I look into the future, I think it's going to be higher than the value it is now um, in 10 years time. But I don't think we're going to see the same amount of growth we've seen in the past 10 years to the next, the following 10 years. I think it's going to now become more of a slower and gradual growth going forward into the next 10 years because of the fact that when I don't think we're going to see interest rates to the level that they were before. And like P mentioned, I think a lot of private um, landlords are going to start offloading some of their properties to the market, which would then give more supply and reduce the price. So I think this has been a really detailed and informal um, um, informal episode where we've, we've given uh, insight into the market, the housing market, the background into it. We've also provided advice to buyers and sellers and then also an outlook, a forecast of what we expect in the next year and 10 years. So really enjoy this episode. Going to pass it over to Daniel to wrap us up. Thank you all for listening to this episode. We hope you're having a great start to the year and wish you all the best for the rest of the year. If you have any feedback for us, find us on Instagram at Take Fly Podcast. Please do engage with us on all of our content. Feel free to watch this episode from YouTube. Search Take Flight Podcast. We can see all of our 169 episodes of this podcast there. And we look forward to engaging with you next week for Take Flight to Take Away. Until then, stay safe and God bless. Take off, take flight with you. Yeah, we never fly,